being in the military is, is when you're younger it's very much it's quite a lot of bravado but i think the older you get the more that you learn that being less so and you might have that facade but but you still need to be able to understand when you're wrong and i guess stand up accept you've made mistakes i think the military is not yes we're really good at open honest reporting about aviation safety and engineering safety but i think there's the military and i think in general is still growing about how to be open and honest welcome to the how they lead podcast hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. So welcome to another episode of How They Lead, hosted by Ben Wade and, and Ben Stocken. Um, ben, I'm going to let you intro our guest today. Yeah, so obviously Mike uh, Mike and I went to the university together, actually quite inspirational because I went off and thought I was going to join the army and Mike had been flying with the air squadron, came home obviously looking like something out of Top Gun with the aviators, flying suit. So I thought that looks much more exciting than being shot at um in Salisbury in a muddy field so yeah I decided that the Air Force was for me we went through our flying training together um, I ended up not being a pilot being a navigator Mike went off to be a pilot um, and we've kind of bumped into each other all through our flying career uh, and stayed very good friends um, so I thought it'd be great to get Mike on here about his flying career his stories how he's led and the experience and examples he has Collected along his 17-year military career in history. So here we are today, we've got Mike on. Hopefully we're going to learn some nuggets of leadership lessons. Hopefully. hopefully. We definitely will do. We definitely Mike, will Mike do. welcome. You've had a quite a good intro, but can you share with everyone who's listening and watching a bit about you and your background? Yeah, so as um, Ben said, we both went to university together. Um, and whilst I was at university, I was on the University Air Squadron. So it afforded us the ability to essentially get paid to learn to fly by the Air Force whilst we were at university, which gave us uh, probably more money to go out partying, if I'm perfectly honest. But at the same time, it taught us, uh, it gave us the um, ability to fly whilst we were at uni. Um, from there, made the decision that we, well, we both wanted to join the Air Force and we both joined at the same time. We went through our officer training together so we did 10 months of officer training together and then kind of went our separate ways um i probably did two or three years flying training until i got to the front line and then since then i've been a helicopter pilot and now an instructor for probably the last 15 years um as we discussed earlier over that time period i've done six tours of afghanistan 
and then in the interim became an instructor and now I've just started my new job um, which is essentially the flight commander on uh, one of the frontline helicopters in the Air Force. So you probably have experienced over that period of time a lot of different leaders, some really good, some really bad and then hopefully learned a lot from both of those two types of leadership about how to try and model your way through being a good leader. Yeah, and I think that's where it's going to be really great to hear from you. Because obviously we had Paddy Kershaw, uh, one of the Red Arrows pilots, but when he came on, it was all about the displays and the debris, whereas you've got frontline experience. So quite a different scenario, a, a way of working and a different place to operate in, being shot at, potentially, um, and, and how you lead people into battlefield, basically, or at least fly in a, in a war zone. It'll be quite interesting to hear your view on how that differs. And we can compare that to, to Paddy, displaying, yeah. displaying over Bournemouth as opposed to operating in, in Afghanistan. I think um, there's probably quite a few read across lines that are, the, are very similar between the two. And as you alluded to, the kind of the briefing and the debriefing and that honest and open debrief of sorties, both in training and for reality, I think are something that if you're not in the aircrew world are very eye-opening. I think obviously you were aware of it then because you went through that and have had the joy of uh, <laughs> military flying debriefs but I think it it kind of boils down to the fact that at the end of the day it is in in theory every time you go flying life or death and also you're being trained to be a frontline pilot so therefore if you're not open and honest about what it is you have done wrong which is normally what you're focusing on as well then you don't get the best out of the people and it is I don't know if you've ever seen anything, Ben, if you've watched any of the, the Red Arrows shows on TV, but the debriefs are absolutely brutal. But there is a reason behind it, and that is part of, I would, you could articulate as a really good style of leadership, but only in a certain scenarios. Because you wouldn't want to go into an office and <laughs> do, do some of the debriefs that we get because people wouldn't know how to take it. But I think in our, our world, it is very important but I think part of the, the wider leadership piece, it's really difficult sometimes to tie that into how we do debriefs because people can take away that little snippet and put it into their wider leadership style. And these can be very black and white, which is not a good way to get out of your, uh, get the best out of your people. Um, so would you recommend a different approach? Because the, the Red Arrows try to take the emotion away from it and they debriefed using like Red 1, Red 2, Red 3. So it's not name calling or telling people per se that they did something wrong but you don't tend to do that uh, in a combat scenario do you, or on the helicopter fleet no so i think there's probably a difference between how we do that in training versus how we would do it in operations so it, in terms of a training sortie it's very canned so there's there's things that you need to achieve on the sortie specific aspects of flying and then that will be discussed um, in the debrief and I think as we discussed prior to the um, podcast starting, it's very personal. So people are very different about how they take on information. So we have a brief before you go flying. Some people will be nervous before they get in the brief. And if you then smash them in the brief because they didn't know anything, by the time you walk to the aircraft, they're already completely maxed out and you won't get the best out of that person. So I think it's part of understanding people and emotional intelligence as to how you then that feeds into the whole aspect of, and I caveat leadership in that little instance of, of a sortie versus the wider, wider leadership. But I think everyone 
learns differently, everyone reacts differently, and you just need to set an environment where people can take things on and learn. And then that will feed into the debrief because some people need a more direct debrief and then other people need a bit more uh, more relaxed and uh, a nicer debrief environment. As some people, you just need to be really brutally honest and tell them how it is. Other people, you need to be more articulate because that's how they learn. And how yeah. do you find that out? Do you ask the question? No, I think you probably get an idea from the precursor to going flying so we normally get to you normally get to learn about the students through ground school and then interactions and you probably get some idea of of that prior to actually going flying or, or doing a sortie and i think that just comes with experience as well having you know trying to think back to how you were in those situations and looking back through my flying training and when I was did my instructor training and all the things that I struggled with or didn't that, that I found difficult or how I felt about when someone said something in a certain way. I think we've all had bad instructors or bad leaders and taking that on board hopefully makes you more empathetic and gets the best out of people. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. There was um, you're kind of looking at that arousal curve in people. And as you said, if they get kind of, you know, if they get too stressed, hyped up, they're experiencing too much before they then go and get in the in the helicopter or in a business world go into a critical sales meeting or whatever it might be and and you you kind of give them too much of a, a direct brief then yeah you're going to tip them over the edge and you're not going to get maximum performance out of them but i imagine as they go through and you're using your emotional intelligence your experience and you're observing them because what i hear from you is you're observing their behaviors and seeing how they react to a level of level of candor that then you can dial it up, I guess, as you go through training so that when you're then operational, they're probably at a level where you can you can be quite matter of fact. Is that the journey you're going on? Yeah, that's very true. And I think when you look at Paddy's discussion, he's very much on the very far right because they are all experienced guys and they would not take it personally. Whereas I think if you're a bit more junior and it's more of a learning curve, you might end up taking it personally. Whereas they know that they need to be the best in order to perform and do a good display. So they just literally say what it is you've done wrong. And it is no slight on them as aviators. Whereas I think if you're more junior and you don't have that experience to fall back on. And I think, like you said, you, yeah, take it to heart. And it's probably the same. It is definitely the same in all, all manner of business. If you don't if you don't really know what you're doing and someone smashes you really early on, you are going to have your you're going to feel a lot more, you're going to feel much worse about it if, if, you, if you're only starting out. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was with a business yesterday and they are, they're a small kind of fast growth tech business. And the CEO said to me, we were doing, we were doing a session on, on giving feedback and, and coaching as a, as a way to give feedback rather than just being direct and tell. And with them, his, his hypothesis for them scaling and growing, so they've just received a bunch of funding, was when they were a startup in the first few years, they actually needed that radical direct feedback to just get shit done. Otherwise, they weren't going to get funding, the product wasn't going to get off the ground, etc. But in terms of a, and, and their why was really clear. And if people's why, the reason why they want to do something is really clear, I think you can be more direct. And I think it's almost the, the inverse of what you've described in, in terms of uh, flight training, because what we were talking about yesterday was they're about to quadruple headcount. And actually in a business setting, you add another hundred people onto a business that's small, 
their why won't be as strong as the initial founders. So actually they were saying, we need our feedback mechanism to be a bit softer and more inclusive because, you know, people will just go somewhere else. Like if you give it to them, then they're not shareholders, they're not invested. So you need to not placate them, but just be more conscious of it. And I guess that's the inverse of what we're talking about when we're talking about flight training. Like I imagine the why gets really crystal clear when you're operational. Yeah, definitely. And I think from what Ben just said there about the, or, or said what the difference is between the two, I think when you're doing operational flying, and a caveat with there's a lot of different things you could do in theory, the different missions or different tasks that we're aligned to do, but the debrief would be very much um, not about how you flew different parts of the, how you actually flew the aircraft. It's about how you achieved or didn't achieve the mission and if there was any safety critical aspects. So is there any time in that, that we, is there anything we could take from that, which we could learn and be better at as a collective rather than individual? Because the individual aspects, once you finish your training and you go, you then are part of a crew or you are part of a, um, a flight so you probably have two aircraft flying together so it's you talk about how you operated as a team as in two aircraft and then also how you operated in internally um and so it's very much about how you work together to achieve the aim or the mission or the task etc and that is subtly different and if you're flying with the same uh crew for three or four months then obviously you work much better together and everyone Everyone has their part in the crew when you're briefing or you're getting the aircraft started or you're doing all the checks. Everyone seamlessly works after three or four weeks. You don't really need to talk. Everything just happens. Um, yeah, and that feeds probably into how you operate much better because you've done that forming, norming, storming thing where you're all working well together. Yeah, so that, that just, I, 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 we've probably got the same question. I love that you brought forming, storming, norming, performing up because... It, it, we really anchor it in the in the work we do with teams and like understanding how a group becomes a team and how it can be really practical. So let's say you're you're in operations and you've you've gone through that forming storming. You're in norming to performing phase. Someone is transferred into that crew. How do you then, as a leader and as a as a member of that team, what's the process you've used to to kind of indoctrinate them, onboard them? to go back through forming storming as quickly as you can? I think we're normally quite lucky because so that person normally, I've got experience of it actually, whereby I ended up deploying really short notice to take over from someone with kind of four or five days into a flight that I wasn't part of. And then kind of, I knew people, but not as well as I would have done if they were my flight. So I think because we're all in the military, everyone has gone through the same training. Everyone's probably roughly got the same sense of humor. Everyone probably does a bit of exercise. Everyone watches films, all of that. It's quite easy to fit in. So you might not know the people personally, but professionally, we are all trained and we're all picked because of our certain character traits. That we're quite lucky that that can, is normally quite seamless. And I think once you've flown a few times together, had a few laughs, had a few cups of coffee, played cards, all of the things that are external or tertiary to your main job, that all brings you together. And it's that shared experience thing, which obviously I know that you guys do that, you know, with some of your more adventurous things, that taking a team away for that shared experience. And if it's a bit of hard work or you put people in stretch, then that bonds people together. And I think it's very much the same with, with what we do. 
So would you say it's in like the, the trust element? Because you you know and you trust that those team members would have been through the same training, would have reached the same standard that you've had to. So you you can trust them to perform and that there's not going to be any ambiguity or questions raised. You can join any team. And would you say it's trust then or values or motivation? What What's the key, do you think? I think it's it's trust and it's the knowledge that they, like you alluded to, have done the same training. So in order to be at that point, they have had to achieve the required standard in order to be there so the trust part is really is really big especially in aviation and especially um in those kind of more challenging environments um but again you quickly uh, as you'll know when you go flying with someone you quickly pick up nuances and things that everyone does differently because you're humans not machines so but learning that is kind of part of the fun of it, working with someone else and taking the mick out of them or giving them shit for doing something a bit weird occasionally and saying different ticks. Or if you fly with someone for eight hours a day for four months, you soon pretty much know everything about them and you can you know what's going to happen next because you've already seen it 20 times before or 120 times before. Yeah. Go on, I, I was going to say, have you seen anything recently? Obviously, you're instructor now and, and, and pretty advanced in terms of your career, but... Have you seen anything recently where you've never seen it before, but actually it's been a good idea and you've been humble enough to go, actually, yeah, that, that works. I've never seen anyone do it like that, but actually, yeah. So I think, interestingly, the guys coming through um, helicopter training now fly a much more advanced helicopter than when we went through. So it's all glass cockpit, all moving map, all very advanced. And there's a lot of read across to the frontline aircraft we fly. So a lot of those guys are coming through having are way more prepared and better at doing that than we would have been when we came through. So it's probably a bit like technology with people being good at using iPhones and tech. And sometimes people do things and you go, why are you doing like that? And then they explain and you kind of go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But I think sometimes in the military, we're quite dogmatic. It's written down somewhere that we have to do it like this, so therefore we must do it like this. But I quite, I'm quite a proponent of saying you need to question stuff. And if it's wrong, then we need to change it because everyone doesn't know the answer. And I think, as you'll probably be aware from all the aircraft you flew on, that sometimes the answer is, oh, we do it that way because we've done it that way since the 70s. But that's not really the correct answer, is it? And I'm always in a bit of a... It's probably the same, it's probably the same in business as well. Loads of people do things because that's what they read in a book that was supposedly a really good book that someone wrote 30 years ago, but things might have changed. And I think in some industries that that you can still see the old dinosaurs that do things and have not grown up with the times and are not good leaders they're just terrible managers rather than being good leaders yeah i think and, and i was going to say i'm a bit of a stickler for like sops and saying that you should have something written down but just as a basis to fall back onto but then you have to be dynamic enough to know that actually quite often you have to forget about that and and just try new things out or make those changes but you have to have those SOPs in place in case it goes all horribly wrong, just to give you something to fall back onto. So help, you don't help, have that help me. goes wrong. What's an SOP? Oh, sorry, standard operating procedure. A standard operating Yeah, something procedure. written down so that okay. either if you're a new starter, you've just joined, or if it's so challenging and something's gone so wrong, you can always quickly get that out, check this and go, okay, yeah, I'll just do this, this and this, and that will get you out of trouble. So that's why we have all of those processes? Yes. Oh, okay. well, yeah, okay. trying to. No, no, I, I, is there a checklist for everything for with Ben? What? Does Ben have a checklist for everything? Well, well, Mike, I don't want to make this about us. Um, but, <laughs> but I feel like I feel like the power has just just changed in the conversation. <laughs> this is this is like interesting kind of grouping. So like group to team. So I would say we're norming. Yep. Yep. Has to say it. Um, we're not. I would say 
that there's an interesting way of working that works between us, but also can pull each other apart. So I am very anti, not anti, no, I believe in processes and SOPs. I believe in creating systems that will help us grow and scale the business. I'm just not very good at following them. And so, and so Ben is, is great at following them, great at, at helping anchor me, but also I guess I bring a bit of the agility. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's, that's about so it. I think, and I guess that, that translates into, it translates into business. You need people in, you need diversity in teams, don't you? You need diversity in, in your crews. So there are, there are people, yeah, of course, you have to follow the standard operating procedures to be able to get the helicopter out, out you know, safely up in the air and, and land it again and, and maneuver it. But like, I imagine there's a richness in terms of diversity of thought that, that comes in crews operationally that can be really beneficial. Yeah, so I think it's probably worth highlighting that obviously we have SOPs and we have checklists and et cetera, but we, I think it sounds quite cheesy, but you give every, you give people the tools that they need to operate in different environments. And then as long as they operate within the regulations, so we have a vast raft of regulations and rules that we have to operate within. As long as you operate within those rules and regulations, and I guess it's the same in business, like laws, business laws, all of that, as long as you operate within those, using the tools you've been given to achieve the task, then that's kind of the panacea, isn't it? You don't really need to tell people what to do. You don't prescriptively tell everyone every day what they need to do. You say, this is what you need to achieve, off you go, using those skills that you've got to go and achieve it. You yeah. say the riverbanks, don't you? Keep them in, in the guidelines of the riverbanks river and they banks. can do whatever they need to do within yeah. those, within reason. Or like West Peak, you show them as much of the summit as you can, you the go. peak, but then you get them focused on, on the footpath, the right bit that's right for their skill set. Except I think, I think otherwise you become the single point of failure, don't you? If you're prescriptive and you're like, you can only do this, don't deviate, you lose creativity, autonomy, and you, you as, a, as, a, as a leader become that single point of failure. Um, can I take us back in the conversation, Mike, to when you, you, you both very easily skirted over 10 months, is it, of officer training? 10 yeah, months a year? Well, it was 10 months. I'm not sure how long okay. it is now. It's a little less, but we went through 10 months. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so this, is, this is alien to me. So non-military, you know, the first time I was responsible for a bunch of people, I think I was, I think I was 23 and I was leading an existing team who had been in post and they were in their like thirties, been there, seen there, done it. And it was like, congratulations, you're promoted. There's your team. Um, go and achieve this. And, and that, that was normal for me. Cause then I went from, that was in, in, in the RFU. I then went into the world of work and it was like, great. You're a great individual contributor, have a team, you know, make, grow that team. And, and it's kind of sink or swim. And this happens with pretty much uh, 60, 70%, 70% probably of the businesses we talk to. They don't train people to be able to lead first. They go, oh crap, like you've just lost some people. That's expensive. Go on, come, yes, West Peak, come, on a, come on a leadership program. But you, you, the, the military do it the reverse. So I'm really interested in what, Mike, you took away from that 10 months that you, you think helped you then going into, going into the field. So I think if I'm honest... I dragged him through it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah where he dragged it. Wadey disappointed everyone because he didn't win the sword and he was supposed to. Yeah, okay. Um, hang on, hang on, hang on. What's the sword? 
for the best cadet, he came second. He disappointed us. He let himself down. Oh, almost made it. <laughs> That's about 110 people, and Wadey only came second. He didn't get the first place. That's close. Oh. Close. Hang on. He's the second best leader in the RF. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. no. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, he wasn't most improved either. I don't think, from memory. Okay. I think oh, so you were at the bottom, and you got. To I, I think. Yeah, okay. I I'm pretty okay. sure it's like that. Yeah. Thanks for coming along, yeah. Ben. <laughs> Um, so I, it's a difficult one because if I'm brutally honest, I probably didn't pay that much attention to some of it at that point because I just wanted to get into a cockpit. Okay. If I'm really honest and truthful, but I think looking back and all the things you're taught are very much about different leadership styles and a lot of it you learn along the way because depending on what um trade you go into in the air force it's very so i could i think i was probably in the air force quite a long time before i actually had to lead people because of you might do it subconsciously in your crew when you're the captain of the aircraft but not in terms of a larger bunch of people um but i think there's lots of foundations that you you learn along the way when you're in your flights going through officer training and then as a squadron as a whole in terms of kind of key tenets of things that you will take with you. So I think the big one for the military, I guess, is integrity and honesty. And and even though they could just be buzzwords or throwaway words, they are really key foundations for how you operate and how you work in the military as a team and as followership as well, I think. Um, and, and given... Yeah, I don't know, Ben, have you got any points to, to what your thoughts were? Well, yeah, no, I, I can like resonate with that. Um, so on board the aircraft that I used to fly on board, you had a crew of sort of 30 people, but quite often you could have the captain who was not necessarily the most experienced or the oldest on board. So in, in terms of leading people, as Mike said, it took quite some number of years before you actually lead people or became the captain of aircraft. So actually followership is probably more important. Actually, you might get a really experienced guy or girl down the back of the aircraft who's been there, done that, but has to get on board that aircraft and the captain is someone far younger, far less experienced. I mean, you've both just talked about like, I mean, Mike, you've talked about, you know, integrity, honesty, and I can see how that would come through into the feedback mechanisms and continue evolving. That, that, that underpins a more direct, I guess, feedback model. But also, you mentioned followership. So like learning how to, how to follow like, well it is really important. But also, I think there's an element of self-leadership there. Like actually, in that 10 months, and I don't want to put words in your mouth so you can say, no, that's a load of rubbish, Ben. But it sounds like, it sounds like, what you were going through was was teaching you in terms of like how to lead yourself well to achieve what you could and maximize your potential yeah definitely and i think if you know for both ben and i if you've got an end goal in terms of ending up being aircrew in the air force then you have to be able to get yourself to that position and that involves doing quite a lot of work external to um your time in work in the evenings, at weekends, all of that in order to get yourself there. And I think part of that training helps you achieve that and motivates you to get there. And no one's going to do it for you. That, yeah, like the, the 100%. If you don't do the work, if you don't go back and, and learn the checklist and you, you learn about the aircraft, then you won't pass, you are going to fail. So it's all about that self-control, yeah, self-leadership ultimately. Yeah, and, I, the- and they, they give you all of the... the um, documents all of the paperwork everything you need in order to get to the um desired standard but as ben alluded to you still have to do that to get there you have to 
learn it you have to take it on board you have to to give that kind of you have to hold yourself accountable for why you haven't done it or you have done it i wonder if that's the same in business at the moment where it might be a more an expectation that those above you are leading the business might be the ones to offer up the, the training and the expertise and the knowledge yeah there's um i was speaking to uh a design agency uh leader about some leadership development work we're, we're looking to do with them and he he started off the conversation by saying one of our competitors they're a 50 person design business they have just put their whole business through leadership development training and he, he said to start with i was like is that just a pr ploy like why are they wasting their money, et cetera? And then he actually had lunch with his, his like competitor. And he said, well, actually we've got a, like a, a bunch of new people to work from university apprentices, leaving school, coming into the business. They don't know how to lead themselves. So actually, yes, part of it is investing in our, our line managers, team leaders, et cetera, but putting the succession planning and the juniors through that as well, actually, we're just going to level up. Yeah. And even if none of those people end up leading people, they know how to operate themselves yeah. to a better level. So he was like, it was a no brainer for us. And I, I've, I've never heard of a business operating in, in that way and being like, we will get everyone to a certain level of self-leadership, but also collaboration. Because if you understand where everyone's coming from in terms of values, the way leadership is done, the way feedback is given, then actually the way you can collaborate and work as a team is going to be better. And I think that then ties back into what Mike shared about the way feedback is given. Like if that's the way that feedback is given and, and becomes kind of the status quo, then it's much more accepting rather than who's this douchebag giving me this super direct feedback, like get back in your box. Yeah. And I think if you understand the context as well, if everyone's done it, then they might, um, if, if then someone comes to them and says, I think you should maybe do this or you can do that, they would have understood because everyone's been part of it and understood that good feedback and um, honest and open reporting or debriefs or whatever is the way to progress the business, then then hopefully they'll have bought into that. Well, on, on that, with feedback, you, it's been sort of 10, 12 years since I went through flying training and it used to be sort of, pardon the, the pun, the shit sandwich. So you knew that there's going to be, yeah, something I think great. you'll find it's called the bathtub technique, Ben. That's oh, it, yeah. Okay. The bathtub technique? Go for it, go for it. Yeah, yeah. what's the bathtub let's, technique? Let's learn. So you start with something positive. Okay. And then you, then you will drop down and talk about maybe things that need improvement and then you'll finish on a positive. How is that a bathtub? Because it goes like this. Oh, I thought you were saying like you put the bubble the water bath, in, the bubble the bath in and then yeah. the water in. No, 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 no. It's literally, it's probably not a particularly great analogy, but that's what it's called. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll... Okay, so not the sandwich then, but the okay. not the sandwich. Analogy. But that's how it used to be. And you always used to know that, yeah, great. They were going to say something <laughs> nice, but you knew what was coming. You failed the trip. Oh, and by the way, your boots are really shiny. It's like, yeah, great. <laughs> and it wasn't really effective. And it, I, I probably took a lot from that in terms of, you're always being hammered for, for something that you've done wrong. And I probably took it to heart. But have they changed that style now? Is that an old way of working? Or is there some way um, that people could take so I think, from you? I think there's, it's still a basic framework. But again, I think it comes down to that, no, you, uh, that understanding people and knowing the individual and how, like, if you just smash someone and say, this was shit and this was terrible and you're probably not very good at this and maybe you shouldn't be doing this after all, then that's probably not going to be great. But I think... In most instances, there'll always be something that was good and there'll be learning points. It's just how you phrase it and how you articulate it. And I think as well, one thing that I've learned and one of my guys said to me last week that if people don't 
learn or aren't good and you're their instructor then surely that says something about you because if you not imparted the knowledge and the information in a way that they've understood and obviously if you get to a certain point in flying training you've proven that you are good enough to get there so therefore it's incumbent on us that we should be the ones to give that information in a way that they can take on board nice i, I like that i was, I was yeah. listening to a podcast recently yesterday actually uh, lucy my wife told me to listen to and it's all about how you, you bring up your children as well. And actually, if you can't get across your frustration or if you're frustrated with a child's behavior, then actually it's probably more that there's an issue with how I'm seeing that, him not conforming to or her not conforming to how I want them to be. Exactly as Mike's just said there. It's probably yeah. more incumbent on us to change our style, phrase it differently, or work out how we can really interact with that person or motivate them, engage them more. Yeah. Rather than just tell them they could do better. So I guess there's, there's kind of a loop back to you, isn't there? It's like, right, there's some feedback that I need to give you because you're not where you need to be behaviors or actions performance wise. But I guess before we give that, it's a, it's a reflection to, be, to think, what have, what, what have I done? Was I clear in delegating? Was it smart, et cetera? But then also, I guess, giving the feedback and then looking to kind of create forward momentum what are you going to do differently next time there's probably a bit there around and what do you need me to do differently that's a vulnerable thing to do isn't it i think that works well in more of an operational perspective but in 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 actual training i think that isn't something so much that we do but i think as a wider piece i think there's you could you know 180 or 360 reporting or ways for people to give you feedback on how you have communicated how you've listened i think that's something that has been discussed in the military but i don't it, it's not something that's done yet but i you know there's pros and cons of it i i can see but obviously in 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 i would say i was going to say civilian business in business that's um a very much i think would, i would suggest is really important because it, it gives people feedback and go when you tell me this or when you talk to me like this it makes me feel like this and the same is in relationships i guess but if you, if you understand that the way you come across might be make someone feel a certain way, but you didn't mean it to be like that. It's all perception, right? And so I think that's really important. And I think everyone has their own styles and everyone comes across a certain way. And I think it's perception is a huge, plays a huge part in that. And if you can understand that and you have feedback on it, then that helps you be a better leader and instructor. Yeah. that's Because really- I guess instructing is, instructing is, leadership in a way you're just leading them to a end goal of being better at flying in our in our um, instance it's being a coach and a mentor at the same time which is difficult to do but you have to have to well, I, th- hat, I, I think you? you're like if you look at that situational leadership kind of four grids like instruction is going to be kind of part teach to start with then it's going to be delegate and observe how they're doing and then it's probably coach mentor if they need yeah. it so in your role, you, you're probably moving across all four of those different leadership styles at kind of at any given point working with someone. Um, and I think, you're, I think you're right. In a business environment, there is, there is way more of a, of a move to leaders when they're giving feedback, seeking to understand the reasons behind that person's behavior and action, positive or, or negative. Because if it's positive, it's like, we need to be affirmational. Like, do that thing again. I need to tell you to do that thing again. Otherwise, you might not capture that moment. That's a learning moment. But like, that was really good. What what was really good? And what did I do to enable you to achieve that? You're right that that is used a lot in, in businesses that are performing really well at the moment, simply because generationally, 
there's lots of anecdotal research that, that I've seen around Gen Z really responding well to a leader who is very vulnerable and very open to say, like, what am I doing that's, that's not helping you? Or what am I doing that's helping you? Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think uh, one of the things I'd written down when I was thinking about this is um, kind of what are your weaknesses and what do you struggle with and what are the things that you do do well? And then if you if you are content or self-aware enough that you can tell people, share that with people, then they know where they can help, if that makes sense. So people in your team might go, I'm not very good at doing this. So sometimes you might need to prompt me or help me with this. And that kind of leads into humility and honesty and sort of integrity as well, because you're saying that I know that I'm not good at this. And if we're going to be better as a as a team, then you might need to prompt me or prod me because I might not do this. or I'm this is my weakness. So, so talking of vulnerability, I, I think most of our listeners probably want to hear a gritty story. And I know most of, <laughs> most of your time in Afghanistan was either tanning or in the gym. But when you were, actually, you when you were actually flying, are there any, is, is there anything that happened that you can tell us about where you learned from that? So either you did something wrong, something happened, and that was your defining moment. Yeah, you, you and the crew learned so much from that, that experience, whatever that might be. Just to um, put, put you on the spot. And just put it on the spot. Probably make something up. Yeah, I think there was there was one instance where we were flying a mission that was into somewhere not particularly nice at four o'clock in the morning, and it was really dark and a lot more dusty than we thought. And I was probably, I think it was my second or my third time out there, so I was relatively comfortable flying in that environment and relatively comfortable flying the aircraft, and we landed and the rest of the aircraft overshot and i was quite proud of myself that i'd landed and then that quickly turned into maybe i shouldn't have been so uh maybe i shouldn't have pushed to land because then we had to sit on the ground for two minutes with the troops on board whilst everyone else came back around getting shot at with the rest of the the rest of the aircraft. well i probably it's a difficult one because in the moment you are just flying your own approach so in the latter stages you don't really pay attention to the rest of the aircraft there doing their own thing but i think maybe being we didn't obviously everything was um done correctly but we it was a hard hard work to do and uh, and obviously being uh i guess ballsy and proud and everything you're like yeah i made it on the ground that was great and everyone else has gone round, and then you roughly go maybe maybe if you look at the bigger picture if everyone had gone round and reset and come back in it would have been less oh, stressful for yeah, everyone yeah. on board yeah that second you touch down you're like yep you're the man but actually two minutes, like, yeah, two minutes no, this. target yeah okay. yeah it wasn't quite so much fun and i think that leads into a bit of self-awareness and and i think especially as you'll know being in the military is, is when you're younger it's very much it's quite a lot of bravado but i think the older you get the more that you learn that being less so and you might have that facade but but you still need to be able to understand when you're wrong and uh i guess stand uh, accept you've made mistakes i think the military is not yes we're really good at open honest reporting about aviation safety and engineering safety but i think there's the military and i think in general is still growing about how to be open and honest and I, I guess it's probably the same for you Ben with rugby it's very much a macho kind of I don't know what I'm trying to say but I think you get the idea yeah I do and I think do you know what the what the, the difference because when I was when I was when I was kind of working with England um you kind of you had more um analytics coming in it was really interesting it was at the point where 
you know, we had more drone footage, we had scaffolding on training pitches, um, there was lots of video analytics coming in. And so actually, bef- almost before there was, there was player tracking for everyone in training, you had your perception and your perception was, hang on, no, I, I made the right call. Like, you know, when I had the ball in my hands and I had a player to the left, player to the right, I, I, t- I took on the player, got smashed, but it was the right call. And it wasn't until actually you could then go back and watch the video that the bravado, it, it kind of really leveled you. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And you see it like, like a pro Evo or FIFA game and you're like, yeah, okay, I, I definitely made the wrong decision at that point. Now, you don't necessarily have the benefit of that it's not a controlled environment in operations, et cetera, in the military. But that was, that was a moment in, in training kind of in elite sports where all of a sudden it became really objective. It was like, right, no, you, you, made, you made 74% of your tackles. Oh, no, I didn't miss a tackle. Yeah, you did. And the, here's, here's a highlight reel of all of your tackles. And you'd see players just humbled in terms of just, just the perception was changed to reality. And I think that's been a really interesting uh, move in 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 rugby becoming more professional in terms of that relationship with humility. Yeah, and you've got now players moving through their teenage years at schools and academies having that transparent kind of direct feedback just there because it's it's matter of fact. It's like the camera doesn't lie. I've got a question for you. If yeah. I come back to you, do you not have you in terms of having drone footage and being able to analyze every single part? Do you not does that not take away some of the reactions some of the some of the just playing rugby part of sometimes if you overanalyze things do you not lose some of the reactionary part of sport especially in rugby if you're always trying to think about oh which way i should pass rather than just doing it and getting on with it yeah i'll give you a really candid answer um i'm not sure how many players like <laughs> are that kind of fastidious that they're sat there it's not like all or nothing like american football you know where, oh yeah. Where you see the QB sat there in a in a in a cinema room for like eight hours studying the same play. There are players who will be, you know, and I'd say the majority of players they they will watch their clips, they will sit down with their coaches, and they will analyze and try and revisit that scenario and be like, right, what was I doing at that moment? Why did I make that decision? There will be other players who might flick through and go, look, I made seventy four percent of my tackles. Like, I'm I'm okay with that. So, I, I think it could be again, it could be an arousal kind of curve blocker. For some people where they get apathy because they could be in the moment and go hang on a minute what's the 3d view what was i the reality is when you've got like a 20 stone you know a 20 stone winger running at you and you're me at like you know five foot five and less than 20 stone you're gonna react you're gonna fall back to past experiences and so yeah. the benefit is you're trying to layer on a level of objectivity that can fuel fuel your your known experience of, of perception really yeah okay cool yeah sorry i just thought of that when you were talking about it <laughs> no that's no, good yeah we really get asked questions back in which is we don't good get, i know we never get grilled this is good i had a question about the old west peak and the false summit yeah which i know we discussed earlier before we started recording but it'd be really interesting to hear from you what your your west peak moment was so we've been in the business around west peak and the fact that there's often false summit so you get to the pinnacle of your career or what you think is the pinnacle and then suddenly there's another summit that had been hidden by the first. And suddenly you're, you're knocked down a peg or two. You thought you knew it all, but now you realize there's so much more to learn. Have you got any examples of where you've been in that situation scenario? You thought you were at the pinnacle of your game or your career, or you have a, a, an experience where 
there was a second summit, you hadn't reached the top or what you thought was the top. Yeah, so I think when um, we when I did my instructor training, you go away for three or four months and you do your instructor course and you get taught the uh, techniques and everything to do, how to debrief, how to instruct sortie, and then you finish and then you come back to the frontline aircraft and and that that was the kind of the pinnacle of becoming an instructor and then you realize there is a never-ending peak essentially there's so much to learn about all the things we discussed earlier about instructional styles coaching prompting all of the different ways you can get the best out of people and i think that is that's what you learn when you come back from from the the training that it's a never-ending journey of how to be better at doing that and i think it's you always learn something from the people you're flying with or instructing because they might teach you something or they might throw something that you've never seen before and take that on board or try and kill you in a magical way that you've never seen before. And so I think that that learning and that growing from there is, is something that I didn't probably consider as much in, before, I, before I started that. Nice. I, I like that. And I think we've learned quite a lot from, from all of those stories as well. And whether that's the bravado of landing first and letting everyone else overshoot and knowing when you have to be humble enough to actually bring yourself down a peg or two and, and make sure you're at the level of the rest of your team. You don't need to show off. You don't need to be the loudest. But also knowing your team and those individuals that so you're able to give them that feedback, actually take the time to know what makes somebody tick how they want to receive that feedback and ask them the question uh, i think we've learned quite a bit from from your experience your background no you've mike just before we, we we finish um we're going to ask you a few questions from our quick fire round so you sure. need to respond instantaneously with your answer for these right two each. yeah i think so yeah two each right ben uh learn from success or failure learn from failure Perfect. We, we got it. We got it. Okay. Okay. Here ben. we go. Uh, planning or do, planning or doing? Doing. <laughs> <laughs> this is like I'm sure Radio One used to do. Where you ask a question, then you yeah. ignore that. Ask and the you next ask question. The answer the second question. <laughs> yeah. Doing. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, surround yourself by people for five years, or live on your own for five years. Surround yourself with people for five years. Okay. Oh. Okay. Uh, beach or country? Country. Uh, I'm going to go one. Lead from the front or lead from the back? Lead from the front. Okay, final one. Success is? Getting the best out of your people. Amazing. Mike, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, Mike, it's been been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you again. And I think for me, the bit I'll take away is around that that, that feedback model about, you know, knowing when to, to, to be really specific and direct with your feedback, but also knowing when it's appropriate to to read the room, read the individual, and make sure that feedback you're giving them isn't gonna isn't gonna deter their their performance improvement or or their behaviour. So thank you very much for for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way, 
doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work. <laughs>